Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Fighting Words. Donovan here, joined by Vern again. Hey, Vern. How are you? So, Vern, you're going to be on here for a while. I've roped you in. Looking forward to it. There's no pay. I don't know if I mentioned that. You did not mention that. <laughs> in honor of systemic oppression, I just want to, you know, yeah. what is it, uh, alienate you from your work and, you know, get your surplus value. And Yeah. Well, why stop now? Of course, I'm not getting paid for this. Well, I guess I am. Yeah, it's part of my job. Yeah. Is it? It's not uh, my job description. No, and you're not white necessarily, so I don't hold you to... Yeah, we're both being oppressed here. What's right. going on? <laughs> That's certainly what's happening. Well, we're going to continue our talk on critical race theory. Now, I don't want to review things. Like, if you haven't heard the first episode, we really got to go back where we define critical race theory. And, and that'll be kind of an ongoing thing, but in terms of, like, just laying foundation, you want to... You want to listen to that. And uh, again, we're looking at a, a series of episodes here because there's just a lot to cover and uh, a lot, a lot going on out there. So, um, yeah, and always, as always, if there's particular things that you would like us to address, questions, feedback, concerns, pushback, yeah, let us know. And uh, we'll ignore those complaints, <laughs> oppress you. Um, yeah. Well, you had a birthday yesterday, speaking of. I did. Now, you're exactly my age, right? Like, yeah. Like a month you're, later or something. Yeah, it's like a month and a half, something like that, which it's funny because always when I think about getting older by year, I'm weirdly comforted knowing that you got there already. <laughs> <laughs> I feel older than you look. I feel like I look like you should be like 40 or 42. Oh, I'll be all right with that. Yeah. I had a We had a delivery today uh, from FedEx. It was a couple bottles of wine from someone that was just showing some appreciation and the guy the fedex guy was obviously i'm over 21 and he just looks at me he's like hey i'm gonna have to see an id so i gave him the id and he looks at it, he's like oh you're only three years younger than me oh that's great <laughs> it was a big deal so well so, and we discovered that our dads are the same age today that's right you know yeah so yeah well we're obviously my dad's passed but that's right yeah but 25 years older each and yeah so regarding ID and people, you know, back when I used to be a waiter, there were some guys, this was kind of like a thing or ladies that would do like if you're a waiter or a waitress and some old ladies out, you know, you know, let's say she's like 80s in her 80s, you know, like, and she orders a drink and the guy says, I'm going to have to see an ID, <laughs> that's man. Right. And she goes, oh, 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 you know, like, it's like, oh, that's funny. That's so sweet. It's like, I think it's actually the opposite of sweet. It's like, you are so freaking old. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That it would be funny for me to ask you for ID. That's how old you are. That's how right. absurd the situation is. Yes. So I think it's actually insulting. It, Don't do that. Yeah, it's completely <laughs> insulting. But apparently everyone's in on the joke, so it makes it okay. But there's definitely a line where you go from, okay, I know you know that I'm not 21, to, you know, before there was a point where it was, you know, it's flattering or... You know, you get a kick out of it, but there's oh yeah, yeah, like maybe like a, a thirty, a twenty-eight-year-old lady or something. Maybe, like, yeah, oh, she's glad you asked for her ID. You know, I was like, legitimately, <laughs> exactly glad. right. But then there's a point where it's like, come on, no one's now. You're just bothering me, right? Let's get this over. But then there's that old, old point where it becomes a delight again. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. There is. Old, old lady shows up at the gates of heaven. I'm going to have to see your ID. Ah, the angels laugh. Like, <laughs> no, they won't because it's actually not funny. Yeah. That kind of thing won't be happening in heaven. <laughs> Hope not. So do you feel 47? Uh, I feel the same. Um, yeah, I don't I don't feel any different. The same as like when you were three? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just foolish, uh, not potty trained. Yep, yep. Thought I'd have it figured out by now. <laughs> no, I, I feel about the same. Um, yeah, I don't know at what point, I guess you get into your mid-40s, which I'm, I guess 47 is pushing upper 40s, but... Um, I don't know. I don't remember the last time I felt I hit a birthday and I didn't feel my age or I felt old, old, you know, significantly older or something like that. And my life's pretty much on, this is probably not a great thing to say if John Piper was around, but it feels a little bit like on autopilot, you know, there's no like new, you know, 47 doesn't get you something new. Not that I'm trying to waste my life, but it feels like, you know, I've kind of got a rhythm and we've got these things going and, you know, it's good, you know, praise God for that. And, Maybe when I get to 50, I'll have like um, this awakening. Okay, I'm 50 now. It's getting Ugh. close to the end. I need to do like a bunch of these things that I've never done. But today I don't feel that way. It's like. Yeah, you kind of hit a. Well, it's part of what can be a midlife crisis for some people. Like when you are, you know, when you're young, you're, there's always something out there like, oh, I'm going to graduate high school. I'm going to go to college. Right. I'm going to graduate college. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to get my license that's earlier. You know, I'm going to get my first job. I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids and then I'm going to buy a house. There's all these. And then all of a sudden you enter a season where it's very possible for it. Like, okay, all those pieces just play out now. Right. And you can either walk in that with patience and joy or some people grow disillusioned. Yeah. What's life about? What's next? Like, well, maybe there's not a next. Maybe it's this. Like cultivate the thing you have. Right. And be there. Yeah. I've heard you say that before and I feel like that's, that's a helpful reminder that um you know god's given us certain you know um, rhythms in life that are that can be we can look at them with disdain if we're you know unsatisfied with those things or if we hear that um that call for more that sirens call i know you preached about you mentioned um josh garrell's ulysses that idea that there's always that call to something else you're going to be drawn away to that and and never you know, satisfied with what God's doing in your life. So anyway, that's always been helpful for me times that, that you've reminded me of that. So, yeah, I've got, now we're way off topic, but I, I like to start with a little chit chat here. Um, I, I have this, uh, great quote from, uh, Paralandra C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Haven't found a great place for it in a sermon, but I just thought of it when you were talking about what well, we're talking about, like the season you're in and, just embracing that, not looking somewhere else always, but just enjoying that, right? Yeah. Well, the story of Paralandra, you know, it's this um, character who goes to another planet, which I think it's Venus, but it's and its mythical name in the book is, is Paralandra. Mm-hmm. And the setting is that it's like a pre-fall creation. There's an Adam character, there's an Eve character, mostly it focuses on the Eve character. And uh, Satan... There's a Satan figure, a, a demon-possessed man, who's tempting her to fall. Mm-hmm. And so it's brilliant. You know, it just draws it out because, you know, you think of the fall. It happens so quickly in the Bible. You know, it's like, well, tempted to eat the fruit. But this draws it out like over a series of mm-hmm. weeks or months or something yeah. where and you get to see how he tries to deceive her and how that 
just how she interacts with that right. and a brilliant book yeah. so this guy see if i can find it here this guy uh the the human character his name's ransom so he's like the obviously the messiah character right yeah. come to save them from falling um is interacting with her and one thing that becomes clear is that you know he's no satan but he's not an unfallen human mm-hmm. you know he's been redeemed but he has been tainted by sin and therefore the way he thinks is really different than the way she thinks right right and that keeps coming up there's like this um failure to communicate almost right and <laughs> having to always explain things and man, now i can't find it i must have deleted it have you oh here it is so one of the things he talks to her basically about being unthankful mm-hmm. right which to her is a foreign concept she has never been unthankful mm-hmm. right when she says this she says uh because she started what she calls it you've made me older which could be bad you know like but he she saw something she hadn't seen before right mm-hmm. she goes what you've made me see answered the lady is as plain as the sky but i never saw it before yet it has happened every day one goes into the forest to pick food and already the thought of one fruit rather than another has grown up in one's mind but then it may be that one finds a different fruit and not the fruit one thought of one joy was expected and another is given but this i had never noticed before that at that very moment of finding of the finding there is in the mind a kind of thrusting back or setting aside the picture of the fruit you have not found is still for a moment before you and if you wished if it were possible to wish you could keep it there right the picture of the fruit you did not find mm-hmm. you could send your soul after the good you had expected instead of turning it to the good you had got and you could refuse the real good you could make the real good the real fruit taste insipid by thinking mm-hmm. of the other mm-hmm. that's so good <laughs> c.s lewis what's wrong with this guy there's so many themes there i think of you know uh or scriptural themes so i think of just the call to be child childlike yeah um the themes about just the softness of heart to not harden your hearts um there's so many things in there that are just reminiscent of, of what you read throughout the scriptures that um god calling us to be this way to see life this way to be renewed in our thinking and um man, i'd love to be there because i know my own hardness and d- disappointment things and you know preconceived notions on how life should be and you know what i deserve and what i should have gotten and man just wasting days yeah not thinking this way being thankful i remember aubrey one time we were talking about you know cursing so like whether you say damn it or you say darn it Mm -hmm. you know like i'm pretty sure well even just listening on this podcast some of you probably put off that i just said that but just picture you're in a room with me and (laughs) something happens you know and i I say damn it you know you're like oh i don't know pastor like but if i was like oh darn it you'd probably be fine right but aubrey said god doesn't care which one you say either way you are cursing the moment Mm. he has brought upon you i was like oh (laughs) gosh (laughs) that is so profound it is so anyway paralandra how do we get on that 
oh, whatever. Oh, we're talking about midlife and, oh, what's the life, the path before you right, right now? And it yeah. doesn't mean you can't seek the Lord for different directions, but I think we all get what we're saying here. Like, walk faithfully in the things that God has provided, including CRT. Right. Mm. So let's transition there. Yep. A couple things that we want to... Uh, there's a lot. Who knows how much we'll get to. This is, again, why this will take uh, a handful of episodes, and I don't know if we'll ever exhaust it, but we just may just get exhausted yeah. and be done with it. Yeah. But Sure. So you, there's an issue you wanted to bring up. Yeah, I felt like um, maybe one of the things we that we didn't clarify last time was just this idea that you, you can be concerned about racial injustice without being a proponent of CRT, that there actually is a difference between what CRT is um, espousing and someone who might just see racial inequality and like not be okay with it, which I, you know, I think as believers, we're called to see injustice and not be okay with it. Um, you know, and to the extent that God would move us into places where, you know, we can uh, affect change, we should want to be moved there and, and, you know, racial disparity is an obvious place where there's something going on. And um, I wouldn't want us to, because we aren't CRT proponents, wouldn't want it to look like we don't care about racial injustice because it's just not the case and they're not the same thing. Um, CRT specifically has an intention, a certain intention in, in their motives and what they're, what they're after. It really is to explain disparity in racial terms. So when you see disparity, the answer is always racism and white supremacy. So particularly racial disparity between blacks and whites. When you see that, the reason you see it- The only reason. The only reason you see it. Again, because we want to talk about that a little later too. Is it is that part of the reason? Is oppression part of the reason? Yes, often absolutely. It is. Yeah, often. so there's right. But you're zeroing in on the idea that it's the it's the reason. Right. It's the main thing going on. In fact, probably the only thing going on. Yeah, and I think if you said, well, I would grant that to a degree, but then there's also X, Y, and Z, and they would say, no, the reason you say there's X, Y, and Z is because because actually the the injustice or the the systemic racism is the is the reason. And you're from a position of power saying there's also these other things in order to basically to deflect or to maintain your position of power, things like that. Um, but I just don't agree with that. And I think that there's it's legitimate to have concerns about racism um, and to believe that the efforts to support um, racial equality don't have to be grounded in CRT's solutions. Right, because even like even in that statement, like seeing racial or uh, let's say economic disparity as uh, a, a single factor, you know, it's the race thing, it's oppression. There's a whole nother level of like assumption going on there, which is that disparity is in itself an injustice. Right. Right. Yes. So, so this is where we get into like you know uh, having discernment holding tensions together like mm -hmm. the bible does not teach that inequality is necessarily unjust if you look oh mm. this person is poorer than the other right. that's not fair that's not the way the bible talks right. so let me give you one example yeah. yep um as for the rich in this present age this is first timothy six seventeen. um as for the rich in this present age 
So there's this rich, um, and he's going to tell them something. Charge them not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share with who? The poor. Mm-hmm. Thus storing up a treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So mm. the Bible here is affirming that there are different classes of people, that there is to be mercy, a posture of mercy toward the poor and the needy, yep. um, that the rich are to not be proud because they think they're better and they did something yep. to to achieve that situation or do not set their hopes on that to not make it their their idol but to hold it loosely which would then empower them to do good which would be to share right yeah but what it's not saying is that they're guilty for being rich in fact it says this god richly provided that for them yeah. Which means God provides, which means he didn't provide that for those others. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So they're both in their situation because of the sovereignty of God. Right. Now that doesn't mean, well, God did it, okay. He's saying, right, I did it for a reason. So there so mm-hmm. there can be an interaction between the two of yeah. you. Yeah. So That's great. Yeah, again, the main point being there that yeah, we can be concerned for uh the the needy, the poor, the oppressed, whatever term you want to use and they're not always oppressed i guess is what i would say but yeah. um but again so you go start getting into some root assumptions in crt that we just can't take disparity is necessarily unjust sure right yeah. or again disparity is a result of oppression yeah right um and i would i would hear that scripture and as a believer i would say okay that's good so part of what i feel like crt wants you to do is is they want to be the language police in a sense. Part of what we want to do is get white people to say the right thing so that we're not using language in a way that's harmful to other communities, things like that. But when I hear that scripture, I think, okay. You mean like political correctness stuff? Yeah, tons of that. Yeah. Tons of that. And I'm sure we'll get into into what examples of what that looks like. But um, that call from from the scriptures is not to just change my language or... Um, perspective on the situation to have a necessarily just a right understanding, but it is to uh, there is a call to do something, and I think what part of so part you know we're distinguishing between caring about racial injustice and CRT. I think another distinction along the lines of okay, I want to do something is the Black Lives Matter movement versus the the belief that black lives matter. So another area for us, I think to draw some distinction because I I personally wouldn't support black lives matter as an organization for a number of reasons. But if you ask me if black lives matter, I would say absolutely. Can you rattle them off a couple of them really quickly? Yeah. So just the reasons that you would not support the organization. Sure. Yep. So one of those reasons would be, um, I think the, the financial stewardship, of the organization has been poor at, at, at best. So very well documented um, incidences of heads of black local Black Lives Matters cha- um, um, ch- charters or um, you know the regional uh, Black Lives Matters um, organizations on the ground in communities saying, 
we're not seeing a dime. I mean, we know that money's being raised in the tens of millions, and we're not seeing anything in terms of financial support. So the level of transparency on the finances, I think, has been murky from the beginning. So I think it was just last year that they, no, actually it might have been just earlier this year that they gave a snapshot of what their financial picture looked like. They raised like $90 million last year. Um, from different causes, but you you see just story after story of these communities saying, we're not seeing it. We don't know where it's going, but it's not coming here. That's not good. And I know, you know, there's lots of charities out there that are like that. So this isn't... That's um, one piece of evidence. Yeah. So that, that that's just a... Yeah, exactly. That's a piece of evidence. Another one is... Um, you know, in the same way that these organizers aren't seeing money, you're getting specific people whose names, who part of the Say Your Name movement, in a sense, people who have, who have died at the hands of police brutality, uh, Michael Brown's family, have come out specifically and said, we know there have been hundreds of thousands, you know, potentially millions of dollars raised using Michael's name and image and all of this. We haven't seen anything. Um, and, and a number of other... Did you just say that Michael Brown died at the hands of police brutality? Uh, yeah, I did. Wow, yeah. we might have to revisit that. Well, and I don't... Yeah, and I'm, I'm saying... You're that. saying at least that's what's being... That's what exactly, was said. Yeah, and I, don't, I actually don't know the story well enough to say... Oh. Um, I, I know a little bit of, you know, uh, he had an altercation with police. Sure. He might have had a weapon or at least was believed to have a weapon, things like that. So anyway, my, my point is the reason Black Lives Matter was able to raise money for him was the the narrative of police brutality. So that money wasn't going um, to their family. I, another big one is just their clear Marxist views. Their founders, uh, the statements on their websites, they are um, unashamedly um, Marxist in the way that they see uh, their movement taking shape and the solutions that they would propose. So basically what that means is um, they see the world very binary in the sense of oppressor and, and oppressed. Uh, white people are oppressors. Black people are oppressed. There's no middle ground. There's no middle class. The only way to really address that issue is for the oppressed to become oppressors in a sense. Uh, so reminiscent of what we talked about a little bit last week, of the idea of the only way to fight injustice is, is you know, sort of opposite injustice in a sense so those kind of things the you know very vocal um opposition to the nuclear family to the traditional family those things being on their website um you know i have uh issues for sure with a number of things that they would say are solutions to um the community the issues in the black community so all of that just to say um I know that racism is an issue. I believe that race, racism is an issue in a number of different ways and contexts, but CRT and the organization of Black Lives Matters, to me, um, aren't the right response in terms of what it would look like for us to address those issues. Yeah. What do you think of the response to, you know, the Black Lives Matter phrase being all lives matter? You know, that's a common yeah. retort. So I understand why people say it because it feels like, it's exclusionary. You're just saying black black people, uh, the lives of black people are all that matters. Um, and yet I get so so I get why people say all lives matter because let's just drop the racial pretenses and just try to you know why can't we all get along? But I I actually probably lean more towards 
the phrase Black Lives Matter is highlighting something that's pertinent right now, it, or uh, at least, yeah. So there's, there's so many layers of it. I mean, I think the police brutality side of really what ignited um, the, the national awareness of Black Lives Matter, to me, I have some issues with it because I feel like um, it's overblown uh, in terms of what's happening in the black community. I don't think it's the primary issue in the black community. In fact, I, I'm not sure it's even top five. When you look at statistics mm. of what's happening in the black community, um, black on black crime, gun violence, drug use, um, absent fathers. I mean, there's just so many things happening there that if you if we were gonna do a national campaign and say, okay, let's, let's really get after what's happening in the black community, uh, I feel like you would go a different direction. I mean, if you looked at the numbers of people who die at the hands of, of white police officers in the country versus the numbers of blacks who die um, in violence um, with with each other, I think the numbers would be astounding. Yeah. Gosh, there's so much here. Um, let me say a little bit about the Black Lives Matter thing. I agree with the sentiment, and I think it's a fair use of... Um, you know, one of the... One of the um, examples I've heard of, like someone says, hey, you know, cancer matters. Or even let's take a familiar, you know, unborn lives matter. Right. It's yeah. like, yeah, we're it's not saying good. no one else matters. They're exactly. just saying, hey, we want to highlight a thing and yeah. talk about That's it. Like, so, but the problem is that a, a lot of this comes down to polarization and everything that you lump in with that. So if you hear someone say black lives matter and then that is associated with CRT and all these other mm-hmm. things that you just go, no, I don't want to say that. But I think we have to be more reasoned than that. I think... Part of what the sentiment is there is like, hey, it's easy to ignore oppression if you don't live in it. Like, let's just say mm-hmm. you live in a certain neighborhood where you don't see that a lot, yep. right? And then you're just not exposed to it. And then someone's saying, hey, we want you to think about what's going on in these other neighborhoods. Yeah, Like, it, these things matter. Absolutely. Now, the thing is, I actually th- don't think it's just about black lives. I don't think that sure. necessarily it's easy for well-to-do, comfortable white people to ignore white people in poor neighborhoods you know it's, it's like mm-hmm. it's just not there it's not my backyard it's not my problem and i'm moving yeah. on now if that's if that uh demographic is disproportionately represented by black and brown people then you can see why they would say hey right care about this do you care about black lives i suspect it's more than that i think i suspect people just don't care about lives (laughs) you know what i mean they're like on this campaign to go help the poor white people (laughs) moving on with their life um so what you one of the things you mentioned here in passing is uh the idea of like well what is to what extent is the police brutality issue out there a problem and like I think there's a lot of it. How could there not be? I mean, you give sinners power and there's going to be a problem. And I've seen some, was it called 25? The 20, it was a documentary on Netflix. It was about just straight up corruption in the New York yeah. police department. And it wasn't mostly about, it wasn't really about, um, you know, racial oppression and all that. It was just about stealing money and all that. But right. the point is there's sinners in there, you know, so. Absolutely. But it, specifically in the terms of unarmed black men being shot, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of my challenges that I have with the, mainstream media which i think you should all just get off of is uh there's just they're carefully constructing a narrative mm-hmm. because they want you to do that like yeah they how many unarmed black men were shot last year you know like this uh this is a little dated so again those lives all matter and to the extent that any any of those were an injustice based That's on what right. happened we need to talk about that yeah. but beware of propaganda 
Listen to this. A survey produced um, by skeptic.com reveals that people who identify as liberal or very liberal, so that's if they're listening to CNN, let's say, mm-hmm. believe that 1,000 or more unarmed black men were murdered by police in 2019. Uh, according to the Washington Post, the number was 12. Wow. So those 12 matter. But the point is, the point I'm making here is that the reality, there's a dissonance between the reality and the perception and the reason is media. Yeah. It's 100% media. Right. This is the narrative they want to push. Yeah. I would say media and activism. There's a lot of money to be made. I mean, the money that's being raised by having a cause um, is enormous. And and Black Lives Matter has has made their primary... (laughs) Their their primary message is has revolved mostly around um, police brutality, police violence, police killing of black men. Um, so, you know, that's the machine. It, yeah, there's incentives there that are built into why this gains the kind of traction that it does. And when you so when the momentum here is unbelievable. So you start to get so Robin D'Angelo writes a book about white fragility. These things start to play on each other. You get that starts to gain popularity. This idea that, um, and it's not like it's not plausible. This idea that white guilt is the reason, or white um, oppression, white superiority is the reason for these issues. Man, everyone wants to fight a common enemy, and that's a. There's just lots of ways you can go with that. You know the the narrative around it's not all that implausible. You know you, we understand that slavery would have had. How can you enslave people for X number of years and not have, you know, decades of repercussions and, um, you know, communities that you could easily draw to connect the dots to in terms of why their situation now has to do with those those things, those horrible things that happened in the past. So this thing has just gained a, a level of momentum. And I think that, you know, critical thinking or any constructive cr- criticism of the movement is just squashed immediately because there's just so much momentum here and everyone can kind of in some sense it assuages it's it, you know it's like there is disparity so man this isn't okay let's let's go this route because it's actually easier to say police language than to actually get into the communities and see something change i mean there's just this feels like a low-hanging fruit uh, answer to racial inequality a very dangerous one too for sure we'll maybe cover that more later but oh wait what about blue lives matter yeah oh that's a good one so my dad like smurfs <laughs> wow they're always being captured dude is trying to poison them <laughs> Cargamel. you know <laughs> Cargamel. aubrey was not allowed to watch smurfs when she was a I kid wasn't either really because yeah. of the sorcery yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah you that's turned wild. out great that's why that, yeah that's thanks mom blue lives matter so the, so, res, the response right to black lives matter blue lives matter which means the police yes. police lives matter yeah yeah it's it's funny because we just you find your pick a camp that's just the way we are right now you just have to pick a side and there's no feels like there's no nuance there's no middle ground it's you you, you know you're one or the other and if you have the flag of one it, it's supposed to say everything that anybody needs to know about what you believe and what your positions are and all of that. It's, it's really unfortunate. Um, but my dad is a retired police officer and, <gasps> and a black, black and blue man. lives matter. <laughs> oh, so he can hang both flags in his garage if he wants. <laughs> well, wow. So he's like a, he's oppressing himself. I don't even get this. this is, we just went 
It's Inception. Yeah, Inception level. <laughs> so he, so it's interesting because um, he had run-ins with the law as a, before he was a cop, you know, as a young man growing up, you know, he, he was into trouble. I don't know all the things he was doing, but he was, you know, acting a fool. So he had run-ins with the law on a number of occasions. And one of the things he's said to me is that there was never one time that he had an interaction with police, all the times that he had, you know, doing stupid stuff, that he ever had one uh, racially charged interaction, that he was ever treated poorly um, because of his race or said anything to racially with by the police all, f- over those years. And that, that would have been more in the, you know, 60s, um, maybe early 70s, but mo- mostly 60s when he was, you know, running around acting crazy. So it's interesting to hear his perspective on that because the narrative is you basically couldn't have an interaction with the police if you're a black man and have it go okay. Like you pretty much, that should be the norm that we should expect. And it's just, I just don't think that's true. But then, you know, later on in life, he becomes a police officer. And uh, even things like George Floyd's death is you know the tragedy there in his mind isn't isn't necessarily racial it's bad policing so he doesn't see that necessarily see that as a black man say man here's a white guy headed out for a black man and well the i would say the proof of that or strong evidence for that that it wasn't racially motivated he wasn't even charged with it right yeah that's a great why point. was he not charged with a hate crime yeah that's a great point so it's a narrative that helps and fits it does but yeah well it, yeah so the Blue Lives Matter thing, like, I think it depends on what you mean. Like, if you know people know police or they're thankful for them and they and they feel like, man, they're just all getting thrown under the bus, right? You know, as a terror organization, and they're like, we know cops, and that's not the case. Like, Blue Lives Matter, yes, like, well, that's right. a fair sentiment. But if what you mean is, hey, man, like, all they're doing is good. <laughs> wow, I don't know about that. Yeah. Like, how could it be? You know, it is it God's be. army? Like, that's right. You no, know, there's power corruption yes and cages and sticks and guns and oh that's so good that's that's so right and my former pastor used to say you know just because someone put on a military uniform at one point doesn't make them a hero doesn't make them a good guy like there's a lot of people who were in the military who were just corrupt and evil and harmful but we we tend to group people into categories of basically good and evil and it's a it's not helpful. It's like, do you like cops? Well, some of them. Do you like black people? Not all of them. Like, how could you? You know, do you yeah. like Chinese people? Like, come on. Like, there's no way you could actually like all Chinese people. You can love them, and, you know, as we'd love exactly, right. and honor them and their lives matter. But yep. how could I like all cops or blacks? This is not going to happen. This is unreasonable. <laughs> That's funny, though. I think there is, I, ho- I would hope, though, back, back to the scripture that you shared, that there is a softness of heart because we should see people who are at least uh, oppressed in, in whatever way, if they're poor, if they're um, downtrodden, um, whatever it is. So I, I remember uh, my first job, I, I worked at um, a grocery store called Sunmart. It's gone now. Anyway, I was a young uh, high schooler. I was um, got promoted to a, like a shift manager position when I was maybe 17. And so I had one of my responsibilities was just like people would come in and they would have a check they would want to write for cash just uh because they you know needed cash um and one of the things i had to do was kind of discern whether that check was good or not or whatever i remember one day this black guy comes in and he's clearly down and out he's got like one tooth got his clothes are all shabby 
and he hands me two checks, not out of his checkbook, just they were ripped out of somewhere, all kind of crinkly out of his pocket. And um, he had written on there Sunmart, and they were like 50 bucks each, something like that. And in the memo line, one of them said like labor, and the other said something else. So anyway, I had this intuition that maybe these checks weren't good. But I had this overriding sense of here's this guy, and he said he had been somewhere else and they wouldn't cash him. And I just had this sense that I wanted to help this guy. And um, I didn't know that I didn't wasn't smart enough to really know what I was even looking at in terms of the checks. But I just had this sense like, okay, other people turned you away, man. Maybe they did that because you're, you're you're black. Maybe they did it because you're you don't smell good. You got one tooth. He doesn't have tooth privilege. <laughs> so I cashed them and they bounced. It was a white tooth though. It was. That's right. Well, at one time. <laughs> <laughs> that one white tooth chased all the other browned out teeth away. <laughs> Systemically. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so I cashed them. They bounced. We got to get to the root of the problem. I'm sorry. <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> Boy, they... So I got in trouble for cashing those checks. And I just remember thinking, man, why did I do that? And having to wrestle with, I wanted to help that guy. Like I, you know, I wasn't, didn't want to put my employer at a disadvantage, which I did. Um, but it was just this sense of my posture. I wanted my posture to be, or I, maybe I didn't even want to. I, I don't know that I thought through it that much. I just had a sense of compassion. Anyway, maybe sometimes getting taken advantage of isn't the worst thing if it means... I don't always stay hardened to the world and I see, see everything as, you know, um, a threat and all of that. I think as believers, there there ought to be a leaning towards compassion. Absolutely. So we'll get into this a little more when we talk about tensions, um, but uh, this is good. Compassion at the end of the day, is, it should be the bottom. I mean, like, well, they're, it's yeah. their responsibility. Like, hey, at the end of the day, we're saying people are blind. So right. underneath the willful disobedience, there's blindness yes. and there's a captivity there. And that's why Jesus' last words on the cross were to those who were willingly hurting him, you know, was, <laughs> Father, forgive them mm-hmm. why they are ignorant. Right. They don't know. It, it's under the intentions and everything they're doing is actual blindness. And so compassion wins. Yeah. Um, yeah. So other sub points here that you have about this, uh, the difference between, we can rabbit trail forever, right? Yeah. But the difference between CRT and actually in, in caring about racial injustice, these things aren't mutually exclusive. You can reject one and yeah. and dig into the other. Yep. Yep. And I think, okay, so here's the one, I think the biggest issue, so, so there are, you were just kind of alluding to this, two sides of the issue where basically CRT, in my opinion, says, Blacks don't have agency. They have. They are being oppressed. They've been oppressed. They're being oppressed, and they can't change that. That's the reality. And whites are oppressors because they're the majority culture. Because they're the dominant culture. Because they control the. Or because they're evil. And <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, and inherently there's they. So they have this power, and they're not sharing power. And the only way that that would change is if their interests were aligned with the black community and that's not going to happen naturally and this is where um some of the protests after some of these killings have i think been a 
a way to force the hands of white people in the sense. So I think it's that narrative that says the only way whites are going to change is if their interests are aligned. The only way their interests are going to be aligned, if we're smashing their windows and taking their stuff, then they're going to get it. Like there has to be this overthrow mentality. That's how you align interests. Um, okay. So so that's a, so CRT says there's no agency. This is the way things are. And I feel like the the opposite response to that, or maybe maybe could, we could just phrase it in left and right. That could that could maybe that's the left response, and the right response is no. This is the land of equal opportunity. Slavery's been over for X number of years. The civil rights movement. Um, we had leaps and bounds forward in terms of um, black equality and opportunities for blacks in this country. We've had a black president. There's black CEOs. Um, you know, all of our sports heroes are black. Um, all of these examples of how, no, it's, it's those, those black people made choices to, to be in, put themselves in those positions. And it's all about their ability to essentially pull themselves up by their bootstraps. There's no lack of opportunity. And so therefore the responsibility lies on each individual for the outcome of their life. So that's the far. That's your right extreme. CRT is your left extreme, and I think they're both dangerous because they both ignore glaring things. Part of reality. Yeah, right. absolutely. So um, obviously, we can get into examples of of both of those, but I think one of them that might be helpful, or at least people for, to understand how far down the rabbit trail CRT would maybe take us in terms of the problem of whiteness in the culture, is this. Um, there was a poster put on display. Uh, it's also on the website of the National Museum of African American History and Culture, which is part of the Smithsonian Institute. And so, um, the the name of the of the poster was "Aspects and Assumptions of Whiteness and White Culture in the United States." You can look it up online if you want to see it. It's it's pretty eye opening. But the, basically, the theme of the of the paper is that the uh, whiteness or white dominant culture, um, those tradi- there's traditions and attitudes, certain ways of life that have become normalized over time in the United States. And uh, essentially those things, um, those things are oppressive to people of color because they are aspects of white culture, not aspects of, of their culture. So I think I thought it would be helpful maybe just to point out a few things in here. A few things. We got to go line oh, by line in this really thing. Could. Okay, yeah, let's go line by line because it's just it's absurd on its face, but you really dig into if somebody believes this, if this is the message that you're sending to both the white community and the black community, it's probably one of the more dangerous things you can say. In fact, I would say if you were trying to blueprint how to how to destroy the black community, this is the kind of thing I would put out there. This is the sort of propaganda that I would recommend. And it's it's supposed to be the opposite. All right, let's talk about this. Will you make a note? Do you have a pen? Yeah. Regarding the uh, the CRT, um, do we care? Can, you know, can you care about racism and CRT? I think a related issue that I would like us to get to is the CRT in schools question. And like, yeah. what does that mean? If you don't want CRT, do you not want right. to talk about racism? Is it being taught? That whole thing. I'd like to yeah. come back to that. Um, but yeah, white, whiteness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Let's talk about white, baby. Okay, so here are things. So the things we're going to read off then are white cultural cultural aspects. They're things that, that white people do. Um, we'll start with rugged individualism. The individual is the primary unit. And self-reliance is the hallmark of that. So individuality, self-reliance, um, independence and autonomy are highly valued and rewarded. Individuals assume to be in control of their environment. You get what you deserve. So that's the first section of the, of the document, this idea that rugged individualism, that's not a universal thing. That's a, a white thing, and it's being propagated in the culture as a good thing. And so to, when you read these sections, the, the implication is that, I guess, the opposite of these things are what um, people of color people of color would value or would be descriptors of, of their lives or these things would be seen as alien to their experience or to the extent that they've adopted them. It's not because they would have done that naturally. They're doing that because it's part of the dominant culture. in America. Well, I think a related question here is like, are you, is this, are they saying this is a genetic thing? Like white, this is whiteness manifest, or is it because of our history, like in our culture, that these are the things that might be dominant in a, in a culture. Cause when I hear that, I would say, I don't know to what extent it's a white thing. Um, maybe it's a Western thing, like which if it's predominantly white, then I guess you could say that. But I hear I hear that in libertarianism, mm-hmm. like sure, hey man, you know you're in control of your environment, you get what you deserve, like put yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, like and I hear that in the church, yeah, you know, like. But I don't know, is that not the case in black churches? <laughs> right, you know, yeah. Maybe, uh, but this is one of those. It's a, it, so there's a tension here between individualism and collectivism, right? Right. So are we, and which one is right? And I think the answer is that there's a tension there. Like you have personal, you do. You get up and you got to get up and go to work, right? You got to do that, and you are answerable to God for your sins, right? And you're part of a community, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of collaboration and synergy, and like. So to the extent a culture is erring on the side of one and ignoring the other, I guess that's probably not wise. Sure. Yeah. But do you think that's the case? When you think of your experience in the black community, that there's just this strong collectivism, individualism is not a uh, – this is by far the probably the least insulting one on here anyway, yeah, by the know, way. Know, <laughs> this is yeah. about to heat up. Yeah. No, <clears throat> I, I don't resonate with that from my experience in the black community. And I would say just throw on a rap album. Mm. you're not going to hear anything about let's do this together and, you know, <laughs> part of it, it's like i got mines and i climbed know. to the top i got the yeah yeah, yeah no I one hustle. gets credit the for hustle. anything except for the person who did it i mean it's yeah so i think it's actually the opposite of that for the most part so i don't know unless you would say that that music isn't representative of black culture but that would be the complete opposite of what you know um I think that how black music's been or well, current, at least currently, frame. yeah, some black music, right? Some manifestations of rap, black, but that's a lot. It's, that's a lot of the younger generation, for sure. sure yeah, at least for sure in the last 20, 30 years, absolutely. Interesting. Um, yeah, you get what you deserve. Um, yeah, again, I think the the opposite of this is. So, what's the opposite? The opposite is a 
it's like I said, a collectivism. Hey, we're all in this together. And maybe they mean at the policy level, like if we're talking about structures and um, so let's say in a school, right? We grade yeah. and that's your grade and you get what you deserve. Right. Like, is that a white thing? You know, because it, there are, there's talks about, well, how to do anti-racist grading, right? Yep. Like, yeah, which tends away from that, away from you get graded and that's what you deserve and more toward uh well erasing that and basically oh i guess making sure everyone ends up equitable right regardless of whether or not they pass the test yeah so is that a white thing like if you if you're a chinese engineer you know if you if, if you're a chinese engineer like you don't care about you know if the guy can't engineer the guy you're trying to hire or the guy you just hired he's not doing good work the things keep breaking is you think well it's not his fault it's not he's not personally responsible that we're not gonna fire him do you do you just go well i'm not an individualist so obviously this is all our problem and like <laughs> i think it's just it's just, these things are intentions and, and it just depends right yeah it depends on the situation and yeah and i wonder you know uh, you look at some of the incident incidents with the police and um, you know some of the the highlights the high level police brutality moments um, and that does that is the the response to that from the right basically being well if they hadn't put themselves in the, that situation you know then they wouldn't have gotten that so they're basically getting what they deserved um, that idea is this bullet point in here to partly counteract that that no they're not getting what they deserve they're in that position because the police are are implicitly biased they're 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 racially targeting black people this is an example of you white people believe you get what you deserve our experience is no you get you crapped on let me see if i can find some middle ground here um maybe the maybe the police aren't intentionally targeting them okay but you get what you deserve. So you got this young 18, 19 year old guy. He's, he's whatever. He's out acting up, wiling out. And uh, he gets roughed up by the police. He gets arrested, blah, blah. He got what he deserves. Like, okay. Yeah. But, like, do you not see, like, I think one of the blindnesses that, and again, I don't know if this is, this is to me is not really about a black and white thing. This is right. about, I'm just an experience thing. Like, let's say, Whatever race you are, you go to great lengths to make sure that uh, that uh, your kids are taken care of, right? That um, they're not hanging out with the wrong people. That as a dad, you're present, mm. involved. Sure, you know, providing. Mama's helping provide. You guys are, you know, stay married. You know, yeah. read books to the kids. Right. Give them a good education. Yeah. Give them good food. Yeah. Why? I think it's because you think that will help them. <laughs> Doesn't it strike you as obvious then that the absence of those things mm -hmm. will have an impact? Right. Now, ultimately, is the question, is it come down to personal responsibility? I would say as a Christian, no. I think ultimately it comes down to sovereignty of God yes. and compassion. Right. Yes. But don't be in a place where you're like, well, it's just they, they make their choices. Mm -hmm. Like, they literally possibly spent their whole lives without all the benefits that Absolutely. you think benefit your kids. Yes. And if they don't, if they do, 
come out of that healthy and positive and it's like praise god and it was in spite of that stuff mm -hmm. that's for sure yeah and that's why i was never offended when obama said what he said about um you know you didn't build that you know that idea that there was uh, someone to put the roads down you know someone was taking care of um you know sewers and um structures and infrastructure and all of that like this idea that no one did anything independent of all the other things that are happening around us and that never rubbed me the wrong way it's like man if you if you don't see that um and ultimately god is the one who's doing all the things you're gonna live a pretty small life in terms of what where you think you got to and how you got there and and all of that because there is so much more going on around us and um and we ought to, you know, it's not a bad thing to acknowledge that we didn't do all of this. In fact, it's a, it's the right thing. Well, God says, what do you have that you did not receive? Right. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so, yeah, there's this. So I think the problem here is that, again, that we get into polarization and one side of, is afraid of what the other, the implications of what the other person's saying. Mm -hmm. You didn't build that? That business is, I think, what he was talking yeah, about, small right. businesses, right? Therefore, what? Therefore, everyone else has claim on it. That's the implication. Sure. Uh, therefore, what? We're going to tax the crap out of you, <laughs> and you might not, you're going to make less. Maybe you won't survive as a business. And they're like, that's the conclusion of me admitting right. that there's some communal aspect to what's happening. I'm going to overreact, yeah. dig my heels in, and say, no, I did, I did build this. Yeah. And I was just yelling back and forth, yeah, you know? That's right. Yeah. So, but again, I, I don't, I, I, it's hard for me to get a sense of to what extent that's a a white versus black thing, you know, like, um, yeah. Yeah, it's hard for me to imagine um, too many successful black people saying, you know, feeling... I didn't build this. Yeah, feeling like they somehow, they, they got something that they didn't deserve, you know. Um, I think they would feel a sense of you know, pride. Yeah, I rose above. I worked hard. Right. I, I bust my butt. Like, yeah, yeah. Against all the odds, here, here I am. Oh, this next one's fun. Yeah, that's one of the good ones. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Okay, so the nuclear family. This is family structure. Is the section? Say that again. The what family? The nuclear. Oh, how do you say it? Read it. Look at the letters. Nuclear. Yeah. Nah, you said like uh, you say like George Bush nuclear yeah nuclear yeah no what? that's fair W or uh, H H B what uh, W okay nuclear nuclear the nuclear family. I also am against the nuclear family <laughs> I however am for the nuclear family so yeah I reject your reading of that <laughs> <laughs> well that's part of uh, I am I'm gonna put on the white hat right now that's part of white culture that is, uh, is, is actually reading. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> Saying things how they're supposed to be said. <laughs> how they're supposed to be said. <laughs> it's supposed. <laughs> uh, All right. The nuclear family. Nuclear family. Father, mother, 2.3 children is the ideal social unit. So that's the top bullet point. Obviously, extremely controversial. Um, husband is breadwinner and head of household. Wife is homemaker and subordinate to the husband. Children should have their own rooms and be independent. Gosh, it literally just so here's what the, you're just literally describing people who have means and saying white people have means as a more on more average, maybe disproportionately in this country, therefore this is a whiteness. But it's like 
the the reason people have only have two point three children isn't because they're white. It's because as wealth increases, that's just what happens in any race in any country. And this is yes, yeah. And I drew less inferences from the amount of children as I did the, the, father, the idea of the structure itself. Yeah, this idea that a father and mother <clears throat> are um, would be considered an ideal as opposed unit. to like three fathers. Two mothers, one father, <laughs> just one, or mother, just one existing one, at all. One father, right? Yep. Two, two mothers. Well, really, you go any direction with it, right? Yeah. Anything other than this, apparently, would be not white. This is just absurd. It is, but this is where I feel like, if I was going to write this a document like this, I feel like all they did was just re-engineered what's out there already. So you're looking at the problems in the black community. And you're just validating, you write a document to validate where they are so that you don't make people feel bad or to, um, you, you know, to, to provide some kind of evidence for why the current state of the black community is all right, uh, as opposed to it's a problem because they, because the standard is something. So you mean like, white. let's say the idea that th- that's a, it's a crisis in the black community in, in America, the absence of fathers. Yes. But you're saying this could be seen as like, no, you're only saying that because of your whiteness. Right. You're judging us. Yes. Yes. So that's what you're seeing there when the, with the black community is a feature. It's not an issue. It's, not a, it's bug. not a bug. It's a feature. This is how it's supposed to be. Just because you're white and you see it differently, you have your traditions, this doesn't make you know, you shouldn't dictate what the black community, how, how, you know, their interpretation of what the family should look like. It's absurd. And that's why I say that this is the kind of thing I would do if I wanted to destroy a community. I would just reinforce the worst things and say that, yeah, that's good and that's normal and and mission accomplished. Like, this is what you, these are, the, this is the goal. Yeah, have no father and seven children. <laughs> yeah, that's going to go great. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, part of why this, I mean, there's a lot of reasons this is absurd. One, you talked about this last week. Well, after the show, we were talking about this. this is, a lot of the stuff on here is just straight up insulting and racist. Like, yeah. um, And it, this idea of mother and father transcends culture, transcends race. Like, this is... Right. Yes. Go to China, like, travel. Yeah. Well, actually, just use your imagination. <laughs> like, uh, watch a show, like... Mother, father, mother, father, mother, father. This is this is I would say ultimately rooted in theology, but just simply speaking, yeah, biologically, right. this is this wasn't some part of some a system of oppression, like yeah, a man and a woman are drawn to each other. <laughs> and even if you would just take so again, you have the theology, the Christian theology, which is God designed man and woman to be together, covenanted forever, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't mean there can't be blessing outside of those structures, but that is. Yeah. That's the the main family unit that he describes that he designed, but even just biologically speaking, this is like what will lead to a flourishing society. Right. Like if you listen to a non-Christian conservative mm-hmm. champion um, marriage, his argument or her argument is that it just is conducive to the flourishing of society. Right. So therefore, we should do it. We should have marriage. People co- committed to one another, yeah. and it should be a man and a woman because that's who makes babies. And and that's just biology, right? This is, Chinese people do the same thing, <laughs> and Muslims and like, yeah. Well, I guess you have. You know, we'd have to account for polygamy. 
Yeah, to a smaller extent, I assume. Um, yeah, I don't think it's ever been dom. Well, at times in certain cultures, it has it has been the dominant sure. um, form, mm-hmm. right. which I would say is an oppression. Yeah. I'd say that's an oppression. It's men right. of power. Cause what, so here's what you see happening there. Like, yeah, the men of means and power do that and they accumulate the wives. And then what happens is maybe what you don't see is that because we generally have about half men and half women population, if there's a handful of guys, let's say 20% that are hogging all the wives and you got 80% of men that aren't getting married and it doesn't go well. China has this problem, not because of polygamy, but because of the depopulation of women through abortion mm-hmm. and now you got all these unmarried men right and it's not just okay man it's cool it's a problem <laughs> and the chinese are trying to figure it out mm-hmm. because otherwise they have a bunch of like i said unmarried men that don't have something to do with their lives right. a vision a woman taming them like um it's wild there's violence drugs all the worst stuff sex yeah. trafficking like right. it's a problem it's yeah. not just like oh yeah we'll live that way right. and it's a biological reality yep yeah, so so to say that it's a white thing, um, you would have to you would have to have evidence that in Africa th- there's not a nuclear family or there's not a um, incl- inclination towards a husband, a wife, and kids. Like, I'm not aware of that. You know, so if it's not true in Africa, why is it true for blacks in America? It just doesn't make any sense. And so. Um, yeah, so that that idea just seems absurd, and it feels like working backwards to just validate where we're at. And, and even in this country, it's not like that's always been the case. So in the 60s, um, I think rates of um, you know fathers in the home was extremely higher, you know, 60%, 70% in that range compared to 30% now. Yeah, now it's the opposite. It's right. The other way. So no, I don't think anybody would have said this back then but now that you see a problem and you're trying to address it again it feels like reverse engineering and we will just make this you know we'll address the problem by saying it's not a problem it's actually the way it's supposed to be I mean, look at these some of these um so children should have their own rooms that's a white thing like so you're telling me there's a black family with 10 kids <laughs> and 10 bedrooms <laughs> and they're gonna say we don't value that you're all gonna sleep in the same room <laughs> 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 Get out of here. This is just dumb. Um, so let's talk about this idea of husband is breadwinner and the head of household. Like, right. Again, to me, this is just, there's ways that Christianity has inf- uh, put a theological grid behind that mm-hmm. um, in terms of man being the head of the household. Yep. Um, but, again, this is because of God's created reality. This is manifested everywhere. Now, certain cultures might shift a little bit or... But pretty much everywhere historically, uh, men have been the primary breadwinner. Yep. Why? Well, just reverse engineer, like go back in time to where life was hard. Mm-hmm. And women are nursing, having babies, having to, well, like I said, nursing. Uh, they're literally the weaker vessel. Mm-hmm. It's a more dangerous world. You know, one of the things I often say is like feminine can only exist in a society made safe by men. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, so what? Who's going to go out and do the heavy labor? Mm-hmm. Who's going to go out and do the pioneering, dangerous thing? Like at the edge, it's it's going to be the man because of biology, and the woman is going to tend to be more oriented toward the home, right? Because of biology. Yeah. Um. And as far as being the head of the household, 
I one of the things I say to people when uh, we talk about complementarianism, right? So the idea right. that the man is the head of the household and yeah. lead the church, like, like I don't have to argue for this. Um, I can show it to you. Like, men have the power. Isn't that the whole reason that there's a complaint that men have been toxic? Mm-hmm. Well, how? Because they have the power. And I literally think it's they have the physical power. Like, they, men do have more power, and women are vulnerable to that. And I think even a liberal would have affirmed that. That's why they say, hey, you need to check the toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Why? Because otherwise, you're going to do harm. Right. Right? So, yes, men are the heads. Now, Christian, I would just say biologically. Sure. And that has, and that's why it has manifested across cultures. With very few, you can find some little egalitarian tribe or matriarchal tribe, tribe, with very few exceptions. Well, what Christianity does, in my opinion, is comes in and says, "Okay, yeah, so dudes, you got to be like Christ. Yeah, in that head role, yeah. you need to be gentle. You need to be, you need to die for your wives. Right? Use the power that is innate in you." Right. Again, so the question isn't, do you have the power? The power is innate. Right. Now wield it well. That's not a white thing. Yep. Men are head of the household all over the place. Go to India. <laughs> yeah. Go to India. One of the issues that they deal with in the church in India is uh, is rampant uh, problem with men beating their wives. Sure. Now, that happens here as well. And, but there it's culturally accepted. Mm-hmm. Like here, you probably hide it. Oh, I beat my wife the other night. That's what they, you know, it's just normal. Mm-hmm. To the point where, like, you have pastors and Christians, like, they don't, oh, wait, you're not supposed to beat your wife? Like, why not? Like, wow. that's what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how you keep things in order. And, like, mm-hmm. so, again, that's not a, why is he doing that? He's exercising his power. He's the head of this household. He's not white. It's not a white issue. Yeah. Yep. That's right. And then it looks like that because he's not submitted to Christ. Right. And, uh, yeah, so it makes this list because it looks like, um, well, it doesn't fit. I think so. so this to one feels to me like the a cultural narrative uh, more than a racial narrative because again, I I haven't seen my experiences uh, to not see most black men who were in the home not be the head of the household. They're not, you know wield authority in the home, you know, accede that authority. So, you know, I'm not sure if it's just, this feels a little bit like randomly picking out cultural, patriarchal um, elements and not having good examples of, of the black community doing something different, but just a way to tear down an existing structure so that, you know, in this vein of a Marxist type um, approach, to bring to build it back up with something that they feel like is the ideal, whatever that might be. Yeah, the reality, and if you if you consider Western Europe, you know, which is white, what's happening is it's, it's drifting further and further away from uh, not just Christian roots, but I would say ultimately rooted in in how people have been designed for millennia, however right. old you think the earth the earth mm-hmm. is. Right. But they are having less and less children. You know, they're not even at replacement rates. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In fact, I think whites in America aren't. I don't, yeah, that's um, there. It's not like I mean, who's the who's the primary drivers of same sex marriage? Um, 
even polyamory. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not. It's white people. Yeah, sure. It's a white dominated movement. Mm-hmm. It's a Western, white, academic, upper middle class, middle class to upper middle class movement. Right. This is so. I don't. I don't yeah. see how this is a. <laughs> Again, a, a white thing. Not at all. And again, why is that? It's because of, uh, I think, a distancing from conservative roots. and But also, it's it has to do with wealth. It's almost like a wealthy nation like or a wealthy mm. culture like destroys itself. Like, mm, yeah. oh, wait, we don't have to. So the things that biologically show that the society survive, can survive, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, get married, you know, make babies, stay together. Like, okay, then you have a economic yeah. stability. It's like... And then you have a culture that goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can seek economic stability through actually just printing money and taxing. Yep. Okay, well, now we don't have to do those other things, right? We don't have to get married, stay married, have babies. Like, right. But what ends up happening is you literally don't even populate yourself into existence, yeah. not to mention the economic uh, pitfalls. But come on, man. It's, it's nuts. <clears throat> Oh, the next one. This just gets worse. Did yeah. they say, like, can we escalate this as we go? Like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. So the next one is emphasis on scientific method. Bullet points are objective, rational, linear thinking, cause and effect relationships, and quantitative emphasis. This, <laughs> how could you, could you imagine... I'm trying to imagine. <laughs> but as a black person, it's for me to read this and to someone to tell me that th- these are values, aspects of white culture. I just, I don't. So if you invite me to imagine. come preach at a black church, I need to go, okay, hold on. I consider my audience, they're not rational. Right. <laughs> not they have no idea how to. They can't understand cause and effect relationships. (laughs) (laughs) So I yelled at my wife. She got mad. What? What? Wait a minute. Slow down, Pastor. We don't understand the cause and effect. This is... (laughs) This reminds me of... There was a video on uh, YouTube or Instagram or somewhere of a black guy. It was... The headline was something like, How Liberals View Blacks and... It was a black guy without his shirt on. He was in this room, and there was a laptop sitting on a desk, and there's pretty much nothing else in the room. And he he would jump over to it like a monkey, and he would like look at it, and then he would get scared and hop away, and then he would come back <laughs> over to it. And then eventually, he just like flipped it up on its head, and you know, danced. This around is like it. a parody, like it's taking like a, this to its absurd. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Gosh, that this is how man. liberals see black people. This is how. Um, this is what this language invokes. The type of person. Can I can I pause you? Yeah. When you say liberals. Okay, so I'm saying uh, ultra progressive woke uh, left. This is where this idea ideology heads, and yeah, it's, it's, sometimes it's even you're confessing what you believe without even tending to. Like, yeah, you don't realize, right? Yes, because I don't think they would say, "Oh yeah, I view black people as you know monkeys and unable to." But there's some mental gymnastics they've done in their mind that that lead them to a place where, like, inadvertently, I think they might not even realize this. This is what they're saying. This is how they're being heard. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't know how you could read it. And it's hard for me to read it any other way. Like, these things are... Well, I just say they're just in an echo chamber where they're not... 
You know, I don't. I, I hear what you're saying. I don't think they're sitting there going, "Yeah, these black people really don't." They're trying their best to articulate something they see, and there's a lot of blind spots there. I'm trying to give them the best, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and I'm, uh, you don't yeah. want to. <laughs> well, I I just don't. It's hard, really hard for me to to read these words and to say then. Okay, here, here's what I want to do. I want to you to create a picture for me of what this black guy looks like and what his life is like and what you would expect him to achieve in his life. And what his, what the outcome of a life without some of these things might look like, and how could you possibly think that that's that scenario, whatever the end of that exercise is, is anything good or helpful or productive or fulfilling? Like I'm just trying to. It's really hard for me to know what it is you think black people should be doing if it's not these things. We're going to spend like four episodes just on this thing, which is fine. <laughs> as long as you're down, I'm down. Yeah. It's just... um, yeah. This next one, history, so white history, based on Northern European immigrants' experience in the United States, heavy focus on the British Empire, the primacy of Western Greek, Roman, and Judeo-Christian tradition. Like, well, yeah. I mean, that's just stating that's their history. I don't... What is that buzz? I don't know what that is. It's out of nowhere. Did you move something? I didn't think there so. There we go. That's still there. So. Oh. If you need to pull something up, feel free. Yeah. But, um, I'll try again. But I don't know. That's not a, all you're saying is that people tell their own stories. Yeah. Like go to, go to some tribe mm-hmm. and what stories are they telling? Now, I think there's a fair critique that when you live in a country that isn't just white and this is where you get into black history like yes. oh we give we give black history one month and and the smallest month right right <laughs> that's right um so of course the dominant culture is going to tell their dominant stories yeah. like and that's you know that's not whiteness that's that's just what that people be, do yes if yeah if you grew yeah you grew up in an african community you were a white guy yeah they're not gonna be teaching the history of the italian immigration to the united states absolutely like, right no. they're yeah. gonna talk about yeah yeah, so I don't have a problem with that one, and um, I mean, I guess may- maybe if you make it a racial thing, I maybe have a problem with it. But I also wouldn't have a problem with um, more of an emphasis on teaching um, Black history or emphasizing what Blacks have done in, in American history. Um, you know, if you want to do more on the impacts of slavery and emancipation and reconstruction and well let's talk about that then you know i've kind of put that as a note like what do we um so when people say we don't want crt taught in schools yep then the polarized response is you don't want to learn about slavery you don't want to face the truth it's like no because we've already defined what crt is and that's what i'm talking about that's what i don't want taught but Let's talk more about this. Yeah, like I have an idea for a course. If we could have this, if this was possible, how much would I like people to know about slavery? Like what if there was a class where you could, it's like a matrix mm. where you plug in and you're on a slave boat mm. and that, and you're there. <laughs> like, I don't think we can get a true sense of the middle passage. Right. You know, and you come back the next day, whatever you plug in and you're, you're on the farm. And likewise, I mean, for all of us to really do history, like, yeah. and let's learn about the Chinese immigrants and their history, and let's learn about the, sure. the pioneers and the pilgrims and the natives and what it looks like to be put on a reservation. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm all about it. Let's, yeah, it's moving just to even think about it. Like, it's 
there's so much rich history there that probably just gets glossed over and there's a level of appreciation that we just don't have i think and maybe we would be less polarized um because of of some of those things and maybe facebook slash meta will get us there we can plug in someday and yeah just, like, get on the boat but um i think it's a great idea let me so have this little little video well basically what i'm talking about is how how can we build empathy right right and um yeah, because even if you talk about it, like I said, for a month or whatever, it's like there's so many people, there's so many stories, you just get these little s- snapshots and snippets, and it is a significant part of our our history. Um, so is is CRT being taught in schools? You know, like that's where I've heard people say, no, it's not even being taught in the schools. And it's like, is it or isn't it? Like this, I think this mm-hmm. uh, little video here is helpful. Let me see. Uh, it's a minute. Or so went a little viral last. I'm the science coach and admin in the largest public school district in Indiana. I'm in dozens of classrooms a week, so I see exactly what we're teaching our students. When we tell you that schools aren't teaching critical race theory, that it's nowhere in our standards, that's misdirection. We don't have the quotes and theories as state standards per se. We do have critical race theory in how we teach. We tell our teachers to treat students differently based on color. We tell our students that every problem is a result of white men and that everything Western civilization built is racist. Capitalism as a tool of white supremacy. Those are straight out of Kimberly Crenshaw's main points, verbatim, in Critical Race Theory, the writings that formed the movement. This is in math, history, science, English, the arts, and it's not slowing down. If students of color have lower reading scores, it's because of inequity. Therefore, we take from the white students and give to the color students. That's Richard Delgado, straight out of CRT and Introduction. All teaching is political, with reality and facts taking the back seat. That's Dr. Gloria Ladson-Billings, who outlined how she saw critical race theory flushed out in public schools. Ooh, that was a, did, that, did you hear that last one? All teaching is political, with reality and facts taking a back seat. Why? Right? Because to care about reality and facts is white. Yeah. And therefore, anytime a white guy brings up the facts, he's actually doing something political. Yeah. That's postmodernism. Yeah. At play. Yeah, just a little more here. In 1995, when schools tell you that we aren't teaching critical race theory, it means one thing. Go away and look into our affairs no further. It isn't about transparency. It isn't about cultural relevance. It's race essentialism painted to look like the district cares about students of color. We call it anti-racism, so you feel bad if you disagree with our segregationist pedagogy. It's taking advantage of kids' vulnerability and parents' inactivity to preen over social snake oil schemes designed to create division. Parents, when we tell you critical race theory isn't taught in our schools, we're lying. Keep looking. Now, is CRT being taught in schools? Like, well, it's kind of like saying, it's some and some. You know, I don't know. I don't. Sure. So I'm not saying it's being taught in all mm-hmm. the schools. But what I'm saying, the answer isn't as simple as, is that a curriculum? Mm-hmm. Is that, mm-hmm. you know, is it outlined? Is there a class you can take? No. Yeah. The question is, have foundational elements of this worldview come in and crept in through different ways into mm-hmm. into your education? Yeah. And the answer to that is for certain in many places. Yeah, and I think you would have to, well, I would wonder which, what's worse in, in terms of how it's presented. Is it worse for it to be subtly woven into every discipline or would it actually maybe be better if it was just an outright CRT class separated from 
you know, sort of an indoctrination approach. Um, right, so you can see it for all it yeah, is. just say what it is. This is part of what we're teaching now. And so I think, I, I don't know, you know, what their thought process was there. But my guess is if you embed it, it's easier to get a, away with it uh, as opposed to just outright having a class on it. Alt-right? Alt-right. Um, <laughs> well, is CRT being taught at Redeemer? Oh, doing it right now. <laughs> I'm teaching about it. Um, Vern, we're at an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. We usually try to go for an hour. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we could go on forever. There's this, you listen to Lex Friedman. Yeah, I like Lex. His last podcast, which I'm not done with, and I highly recommend it's very, very informative on all things um, pandemic. Hmm. It's, I forget the guy's name, uh, something Mertzel or. Uh, Highly, deeply involved, balanced. I mean, this, this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's gonna have his opinions on things, but in terms of like, talk about a guy who's informed on who the mm-hmm. the WHO is, what they do, yeah. um, what what lab leak theory is, all that. I mean, it's just what vaccines are, what they do. What I mean, he's just wow. it's a five hour podcast. Is it really? Yeah. But Lex is a machine. Take take a month and work through it because I mean, this is a huge issue. Yeah. Yeah, Lex is a machine. Like, um, so anyway, so I want to get back to your uh, white culture sheet. Yep. I don't think we're done with that yet. Yeah. But I don't want to. I don't want this to be a three-hour show. Sure. Um. So let's wrap, and uh, we'll come back to that. Yep. And but we're just touching the. I got so many. See all these pages I've got open here. These are all the articles that I've pulled up, and I got notes. Like this is, this is big, but. That's why I felt the burden to do this. It was like there's just so much mm-hmm. out there, and people are being bombarded with little pieces here and pieces there, and fragments. And some something sounds right, and something sounds horrible. And so I want us to well serve the church in this way, and hopefully sort through some of this. Yeah, that's um, great. So, but thanks for doing it. Yeah, thanks thank for you. taking the time. And uh, yeah, thanks all for tuning in and like i said let us know if there are particular issues questions articles stuff like that that you would like us to reference we'd be glad to do it all right see you all soon